0: Our first reading comes from uh, the book of Isaiah, chapter six, verses one through eight. Listen to the word of God. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet, and with two, they were flying. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. The word of the Lord.
1: Our second reading is taken from John's Gospel. We are in the third chapter. We are reading verses one through 12. This is the visitor Nicodemus coming at night to sneak in to see Jesus, to ask him some questions. Listen now for the word of the Lord. Now, there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. So it is with everyone who was born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen. Yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe... How can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So a man wakes up in pain. Seems to be everywhere he touches, it hurts. Very painful. A couple of days... And he still has this feeling, these sensations. So he goes to the doctor. He says, doc, I think, I think I'm dying. Every time I touch my arm, it, it hurts, it's painful. Every time I touch my chest, it's painful. My, my legs, it hurts. My, my head is painful. Well, doc, what is it? Am I gonna die? The doctor gives him a quick exam and says, no, sir, you're not gonna die your index finger is broken. (laughs) So in our passage, Isaiah is going to act a little bit as that finger that will tell us about where we might be hurting in some ways in God's bigger picture that we can heal and get better. So before we get to today's passage, you may notice we're still red in color on our paramount stoles, choir stoles. Today is what we call Trinity Sunday. It is the day that we celebrate that mystery of God the Creator, Jesus the Redeemer, and the Holy Spirit Sustainer. When we say that threefold formula, Creator, Redeemer, Sustainer, we are talking about the Trinity. We are talking about different aspects of God and how that interacts with us humankind. Um, Red is still the color of Pentecost, of the Holy Spirit. Uh, We did uh, three weeks, two-week build-up to Pentecost, which was last week, where Connie Happel was here, did a great job talking to you all about the Acts 2 passage, where the Spirit descended uh, on the disciples' tongues of fire uh, and convicted them and sent them out for their new mission, the receiving of the Holy Spirit. Uh, And those, uh, all of these symbols and colors of red, fire included, are symbols of the Holy Spirit, of Pentecost. And today uh, will be our last day as we celebrate the Trinity. Um, Trinity, difficult concept. On the one hand, it's, yes, it's kind of three different ways that God works as creator, redeemer, sustainer, as God, as Jesus, and as the Holy Spirit. Uh, but in some ways, it, it, it just doesn't all make sense all the way through. Uh, and that's okay. Um, this doctrine is not in the Bible in one place. It doesn't say anywhere. This is the doctrine of the Trinity but pieces were taken from all over, from uh, the very beginning where God is present and the wind, the spirit, breath, wind, remember we talked about that as being a part of God and that Holy Spirit, even in day one of creation, God's wind blew, and then Christ, we see as being present with God from the very beginning as well. The opening uh, of the Gospel of John tells us in that prologue that in the beginning was the Word, and Christ was that word. There was nothing that ever has been without the word being present. And so again, we over time put together this understanding of the Trinity. Um, Augustine, one of our early church fathers uh, in 300s-ish, really solidified this a little more. And we still roughly work off of uh, his doctrine that he put together. Uh, confusing, does it make perfect sense? No. Well, if if God is Father in heaven and Jesus is God's Son on earth. Well, wait, if, if they're all together and that's one aspect, how can that be? If Jesus is here, then where is God in heaven? Are they split in both places or how does all that? It's okay. It's okay. We, we, there, there are a million different ways to think about it, but the easiest is to say that they are all God God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, they are all aspects of God and they all focus in different ways to connect to us, to be with us, to create us, to walk with us, to save us, and to ensure that we as human beings will be with God from the beginning, present, and to the end of time. Um, Yes, I can throw out all kinds of little examples one uh, my favorites is uh, Neapolitan ice cream. That is three different flavors, but all ice cream. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's the way the Trinity works. But again, the more you think about it, uh, uh, the more we can get into trouble. But again, the bigger picture is they're all aspects of God. And they all interact with us in different ways. And so when we celebrate this Trinity Sunday, we are looking at the different ways that God has created us, redeemed us, and sustains us uh, every day, past, present, and future. So that is today. That's why we are still red. It's why our symbols of uh, uh, fire, dove, Holy Spirit, uh, uh, and Pentecost are still present. So let's get to this Isaiah passage. So Isaiah, one of our minor, I'm sorry, one of our major prophets in the Old Testament before you get to the minor prophet section, you've got Isaiah, Jeremiah, uh, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, all big shots right there. Uh, Isaiah is pivotal in its huge 66 books, roughly broken into three sections, uh, and written over a significant amount of time. Um, But if they were to come and say, okay, you've got 10 books that you can keep out of the existing biblical canon, the 66 books that are there, Isaiah would be one of them. Why? Well, because it it holds the core of Hebrew and Old Testament theology, and it is one of the central books for us as Christians as we look back with Christ's eyes and New Testament eyes to see all of the prophecies that came from Isaiah, from virgin birth. Um, uh, There are are many that are interwoven through Isaiah into the New Testament. Again, it's a great book, there's a lot going on. Uh, Who is Isaiah? Prophet uh, roughly in The uh, 700s, uh, they think his ministry went from 745 to about 685 B.C. He was with five different kings. And in the first verse of today's passage, it said, now in the year that King Uzziah died. Okay, so that gives us a starting point. But Isaiah served a huge ministry for the time. Anywhere from 40 to 52 years, depending on how they measure the time and scope. Uzziah was first, then his son Jotham, then Ahaz, and then good king Hezekiah after that. Uh, One of Isaiah's big challenges, uh, he was in, at that point you had the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Uh, Isaiah was from the southern kingdom of Judah, uh, Jerusalem in that area. And one of his main challenges was that the Assyrian Empire was massing and growing and moving westward in their direction. And the kings were trying to make deals with Assyria. And Isaiah said, no, what you need to do is to be faithful to God. It is not going to serve us as a people to make deals and treaties when we are not being faithful to our God, who is was greater than any king, any mortal, any human being. Well, Isaiah lost that battle, and the Assyrians came in, wiped out Judah. Um, then Babylon comes uh, after that around 586. So Isaiah was in that time. Uh, We think he was educated. We think he was from a fairly well-to-do family, an aristocratic, maybe even royal family. And so here, as Leslie read to you in Isaiah 6, 1 through 8, is his call into ministry. So as that passage started in the year that King Uzziah died, and King Uzziah was a good guy. Uh, Judah was in pretty good shape, economically in good shape. They had won uh, their battles and wars that God helped them to to win. Uh, Relative peace. It was a pretty good time. But now he died. The future is uncertain with his son Jotham. And so Isaiah, having some anxiety, wanting to know Kind of where this was going? Where did he go? He went to church. Went to church to pray uh, in the temple. Remember, there was one temple at that time. We're in the first temple period, not the second. That will come later on. So Isaiah comes to temple to pray to God, which is a great model in and of itself. When things become confused or difficult, uh, coming to find prayer, whether here or somewhere else, crucial. And really helpful for our existence. So Isaiah is praying, and the vision comes. Smoke fills the room. And Isaiah looks up and sees God in God's throne. Wow. That's a big deal. Or the especially the Hebrews would not look at God and live. That was their understanding. You could not look at God, the true form and essence of God, and survive. If you remember, Moses one time up on the mountain was in God's presence and came down, and he was glowing. His face was a glow because he had been in God's presence, reflecting that majesty, that grace. So Isaiah is in the minority of those who have seen God and lived to tell the story here in a place just like this one, a bridge between heaven and earth, Isaiah looks up and sees God in God's throne. And immediately, he falls to his knees and he says, God, forgive me, I am a man of unclean lips among a people of unclean lips. And the seraphs come Weird, heavenly, six-winged creatures. And with tongs, one of these seraphs comes over with, takes a a piece of coal from the altar that was burning, takes it over to Isaiah, touches his lips, and he is cleansed. He is made pure. Then the very next thing, God says, we've got some paraphrasing, we've got some work to be done. Who will go for us? And uses that plural, us. And again, as we look at our Trinitarian formula, uh, sometimes when God speaks of us, it is seen as God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit in that threefold Trinitarian understanding. We've got some work to do, who's gonna go for us? And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. Okay, so let's back up a little bit. So the first thing that happens is Isaiah sees God and it is almost too much for him to bear. It is overwhelming, it is magnificent, it is glorious. and overwhelming. I think sometimes we have got God so figured out in our hearts and minds in the world. We've got God in our God box that we have forgotten the majesty. We have forgotten the power and the glorious presence that is God. Yes, we were made in God's image, but God is so much bigger than any human being God is so much love and light and grandeur and awesomeness. That same word awesome and fear come from the same word. Fear the Lord, have awe for God. Not God is awesome, but God is awe. We are awe-filled when we are in God's presence. Fear, awe, and wonder, all of that seizes Isaiah. Isaiah. I think we have lost so much of that in our lives. We have figured out God and we have forgotten the power and the majesty of God and how overwhelming that is. So much so that when Isaiah sees it, Isaiah who was used to a life of majesty, we think, pomp, circumstance, being in glorious environments, falls to his knees. So these seraphim, these weird little winged creatures, the name seraph means bringer of fire or fire bearer, which makes sense here. And they have three pairs of wings, six, two, two and two. So the first pair of wings, what do they do? They cover their eyes, why? Because even as heavenly creatures, that I would think would hang out with God on a regular basis, they are overwhelmed by God's presence at that time and place. Even though they themselves are amazing and mystical creatures, they cannot look on God. They realize they are unworthy to even be in God's presence. It's the same thing for Isaiah. He realizes he is unworthy after he sees it he sees the picture in the scope, realizes God is there. He tries to take in the majesty, but then it points out his own unworthiness and sinfulness. So that first pair of wings is to remind us that God is glorious, that God is majestic, and we are not to stuff God into our own little human precepts and paradigms. We will never get it right. that second set of wings, what does it do? Covers their little naked bodies. Why? Well, they didn't wanna be naked in front of God, but at the same time, this is the way that God sees through all of us. We try to hide from God. We try to put those wings over ourselves that block God's vision from seeing who we know that we really are, Embarrassed sometimes in front of God because we think we maybe haven't followed as closely as we should or aren't celebrating or struggling or have just entered the process of faith and life and the journey. Sometimes even those things that represent God can set us off and we're not ready to be a part of that. Preacher tells a story about a professional golfer who golfed with uh, former President Gerald Ford at the time he was president, Billy Graham and Jack Nicholas. That's a pretty good crew right there. So it goes all the way through this professional golf player. They play their 18 holes. Another one of his buddies says, hey, how was that? You just golfed with the president and Billy Graham. And And he was disgusted. He said, I can't believe that Billy Graham was shoving religion down my throat. His friend thought, oh, oh, my goodness. So he follows his friend. He goes over to the practice green. He's pounding some bucket of balls, getting his frustrations out. He said, well, what, what, what did he say to you? Did he tell you you're going to hell or something? What, what, what did he say? He said, he, he didn't speak a word. That's where the story ends. Didn't speak a word. That's the end of the story. J.C. Sprouls, a a pastor-theologian, writes subsequently in a book about this story and picked it up and said, what in the world was wrong with this guy? Billy Graham didn't say a word to him about faith, Christ, life, didn't push him to explore his own faith journey, didn't say a word. Why was this guy so upset? Because Billy Graham reminded him of something holy, and therefore reminded himself of his own unholiness or unworthiness. It was the first thing that happened when Isaiah came into God's presence. He realized he was not worthy to be there. And in the Nicodemus story and in Isaiah, what they have in common, they both put themselves into God's presence in different ways. Isaiah goes to church, goes to temple because that's where God is, was. Nicodemus, by night, sneaks to see Jesus, but that's in the presence of God, in the presence of Christ. And they both come away from their encounter different than when they got there, transformed because they sought to be in God's presence. Certainly we do that every time we come to worship, This is a holy place. I do believe heaven and earth overlap in this space, but it's not the only space. You can be on the river in a kayak, you can be on the mountain hiking, you can be with friends, you can be in a variety of places and feel the presence of God and seek the presence of God and it is just as valid. But Isaiah's vision today was in the temple. And as church Christian people, we come to worship. Well, the hope is that we come to worship no matter what. This, I know, it's, it's going to perplex you and confuse you because you, it's just out of your experience. There are some churches that people go to and, and they get boring sermons. <laughs> You don't know anything about it. I know it. It's crazy. There are some churches where people go and they don't even want to be there. Or they're there for dubious reasons. What Isaiah is reminding us of is that number one, we've forgotten the glory and majesty of God and why we come to worship. Worship Sunday morning isn't about the preacher. Let's see what the preacher's got for us. It's not about Tom and his amazing gifts or the choir and theirs. We're all apart. It's not about our reader. It's not about our children's moment. It is about being in God's presence and worshiping God. You could be at the weirdest church, Christian church. They could be handling snakes, they could be doing cartwheels down the aisle. There's something there for you. There is a word that God can speak to you even through the worst preacher, the strangest worship service, the weirdest church building or non-building. Why? Because it's not about me, it's not even about us. Worship is about being in God's presence and remembering that majesty that is not just contained in this building, and to reacquaint ourselves with the beauty and majesty of worship. So the first set of wings, cover our eyes in God's presence to realize that holiness and majesty. That second, we cover ourselves, we try to hide, but God knows us, just like Isaiah fell to his knees and admitted it. This is what we do in worship every Sunday. We come together, we come into God's presence and we ask forgiveness for that which we know we have done wrong. Or just in general, open ourselves to the sinful out and the Holy Spirit in new life. It's exactly what happened. The seraphs bring these tongs and the coal, touch his lips. Fire is used in a variety of settings as a a refining fire, as it tells us in Malachi, through Moses' call in Exodus of the burning bush, even the Pentecost story from last week, tongues of fire to come down to give them their vision and then move them out into the world, spread the word. And here's no different. Purified by the fire of this coal after Isaiah confessed. So the very next thing, that last set of wings, what what is that last set of wings doing on those seraphs? They're flying. They are ready. They are ready to respond to what God will tell them next. Ready to respond to the command that God will say, okay, you're here. You took the coal, purified. Now here's what I need you to do. Go. Bam. They go. The wings are fluttering, ready for the next command. And Isaiah similarly stands up and says, here am I. He doesn't say, here I am. Here I am is geographical. I'm standing here. God knows where I am. It's more of an opening of himself. Here am I. Send me. He didn't say, well, shouldn't you send the preacher first? Didn't say, well, what what term is that? How long is that? Is that a three-year term, God, before I, I'm all in? And check my schedule and get back to you. He had no idea what God was calling him to. Had no idea where he would go. And for Isaiah, it got ugly pretty quick, right after we end this nice little section. Yes, we should all respond and. Say, here I am, here am I, Lord. He goes right to the people and tells them that God's getting ready to wipe them out using the Assyrians as a tool of God's wrath. And God does that. So right from his call, he goes right into a hard and difficult place, as was the case for many of the prophets. you know who else does that? Our military. They go through their training. They go through their calling. They have realized both their strengths and their weaknesses and they stand up and they say, here am I, send me. They don't always know where they're going or they don't know too far ahead of where they are. They don't know what they're gonna be called to step into or in the middle of. Chaos, war, conflict, strife, There's a story a preacher tells about a Vietnam vet who in his service was on point and would be with that group that was in charge of going ahead of the rest of his unit to find hidden bombs, booby traps, ambushes, a horribly dangerous job. Well, from those he started with, He watched his friends die. He was the last one, but he made it. But from that time until this, his life had been continuing to have nightmares, survivors, guilt. Why did I live when so many good people, so many of my friends didn't make it? He was in a depression that the doctors could not quite help him out of. So he decided to go to the Vietnam Memorial in Washington, D.C. And he went and found everybody that he could remember on the wall except one name. And he was looking for that name, and he couldn't find it. He even went to the book that was right there that's got everybody's name in it, and he couldn't find it. There was uh, a gentleman on staff, administrator there, and started to help him look for it. And he said, well, are you sure you're spelling the name right? And and he said, "Uh, yes, sir, it's my name. And the staff member shifts from administration to compassion and says, sir, your name isn't here. You must be alive. Now go home and live your life. And that was a turning point for this veteran. A turning point didn't wipe out all the pain and the horror that he had existed with but it reminded him that he was indeed alive and that he was being called into a new life and that while that other would not go away, he still was given the gift and the joy of hope and could live his life. So again, we say thank you to all those who have served, who have died for a cause for causes throughout history. They didn't necessarily know where they were going or why or what would be expected, but they went. Isaiah, too, went without knowing. Things got difficult for him. Tradition holds that he was sawed in half by Hezekiah. He was that fourth king. His son, Manasseh, who didn't like Isaiah or what his word, didn't enjoy what he had to say, killed him in an awful, awful way. So again, as we think of this vision, we are reminded by these pairs of wings. The first, they covered their eyes, the same with Isaiah as he was overwhelmed in the presence of majesty of God. We need to reclaim that. We need to find that again and realize that God is bigger than anything that we can imagine. And then when we come into the presence of God as Isaiah and Nicodemus both did, we should also realize how amazing and loving and merciful and full of light and grace and glory God is and also how maybe we have fallen short. That forgiveness piece. But that's not where God leaves us. That second set of wings to cover ourselves from God, to cover our nakedness. We need to know that God knows us and loves us and that that's okay. We need not hide ourselves from God, even the worst and darkest part of who we are. That's what forgiveness is about. That's what Jesus Christ is all about. And then that third set of wings that are ready to go. You tell us where, God, we're ready. Three sets of wings that can change our lives. So let us look and see where we have been, where we are going, and get our wings ready to fly, for God is calling us. Let's go, and let's go together. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen.